Hey guys, it's Kayla. It's Evan. And welcome to Podstetrics. Hey guys, and welcome to our next episode of Podstetrics. Uh, today's episode is on analgesia. Yeah, beautiful. So as always, we'll start off with a medical disclaimer. Yeah, so this podcast is not to be used as medical advice. If you do have any queries or concerns, please see a medical professional. And like with all of our other content episodes... Let's start off with the case. Yeah. So Susan is a 24-year-old G1P0 who has come in for a 36-week antenatal appointment. During this appointment, Susan has expressed a desire to deliver baby with as little medical intervention as possible. Susan's midwife has then offered to discuss with her different options she has in regards to pain relief during labour, just in case she decides that the process of labour is a little bit too overwhelming. Susan is quite open to the idea and her midwife recommends that she has a further think about this at home with her partner so that she can slightly modify her birthing plan in the case that she decides to have some pain relief during the process. Yeah, so I suppose we should start off just by saying that pain during labour is completely normal. Completely normal. And there's nothing wrong with requiring pain relief. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's completely up to the mum and really what she decides fits best with her birth plan. Yeah, like like with everything else, pain is completely individual. It's unique to everybody. And pain during labour really does depend on a number of different factors. So let's run through those really quickly. So one of them is a number of previous births women have had. Mm -hmm. Another one being fear, tension and resistance and the environment that you're in and the support people that you have around you. And this really comes back to the whole psyche concept that you discussed and that we discussed in a previous episode. And that's very true with pain. So that's something that we definitely do know with pain. The, The kind of the way that you're thinking about the pain and the people that are around you supporting you through the pain definitely changes the way that the pain may feel to you because pain is so subjective. Yeah. And the reason why midwives do emphasize things like antenatal classes is to really help reduce those anxieties surrounding labor, help you with developing things like breathing techniques and just personal assurance really and really just having a plan so you have something to fall back on and so it's not too overwhelming when the pain does come yeah Uh, another thing as well obviously is the position of baby and we've we've talked about this um for example when baby's in an op position because baby's back is rubbing against mum's back there'll be a lot more lower back pain yes so with pain management and any sort of analgesia we can categorize it into three different techniques so the first is natural pain management otherwise known as non-medical pain relief The second is assisted non-medical pain relief. And the third is medical pain relief. So let's talk about natural pain management. Yes. So again, during your labor, you really need to find what is most comfortable for you. But the one thing that is generally recommended is that women do remain active during their labor. Whether that's lying down on your side, on your back, if that's more comfortable for you, moving around using an exercise ball, we recommend activity. So standing up is said to help, especially when we talk about really simple things like gravity. So helping baby move down the birth canal naturally. One thing that I saw personally when I was in birth suites was, so you know how like hospital beds move up and down and side to side and bloody any which way that you want. Women would often raise the bed up to about chest level. Yeah. And basically this, what this would allow would women's elbows would go on the bed, head would rest in between the hands They'd still be standing up, but it would just be more comfortable for them. And then we'd say to them, do things like rock side to side. So one thing that I would do was women would be on one side of the bed. Her birthing partner would be next to her doing things like rubbing her back. I would stand facing her and I guess 
make as much eye contact as possible give her those personal assurances like you're doing so well keep going you're nearly there and I would rock with her side to side as well and we'd kind of do it at the same time and it's gotten to the point now where I do <laughs> I'm standing up you've conditioned yourself to rock <laughs> yeah um, and one thing as well that we should make clear so in this situation the woman is standing on the side of the bed so not lying on the bed and yes. we're raising the bed in height yeah we're raising the bed yeah. in height yeah. sorry yeah <laughs> And th- this really makes sense. So if any of our listeners can think, when you're in pain, it's really hard to stay still. Yes. You, you like to move around when yeah. you're in pain. And this is, so really what we're trying to say is unless a woman has an epidural um, or has another reason why she can't be moving during her pregnancy, then that's definitely an easy way, an, an easy kind of thing to recommend yeah. that can really ha- help to alleviate some of that tension and pain. Yeah. So the second thing that we talk about now is heat and water. And this is really said to release tension really here. So we can see that women in some medical institutions have in, uh, access to things like birthing baths, baths. So some women say that they find these really comfortable, but it's not really something that's suitable for everyone. Another really easy way to get around this if you don't have access to a birthing bath um, is sitting in the shower or standing in the shower as well. Yeah. And I also just heard as well from my partner that when her sister had birth, um, she didn't want to sit down to pee in the toilet because yeah. the sitting down would make the contractions it's worse. Stronger, yeah. So she just stood up and peed in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> So whatever works, whatever works for you. Uh, Other things are things like heat packs, uh, especially in places that are tense, so such as the back to help with like muscle relaxation. Another thing is touch and massage. So again, this is something that would be performed particularly by your support person. Um, And this is something that's actually run through during antenatal classes. Um, They also recommend doing things like practicing with your partner during pregnancy um, so your partner knows what you like and what's comfortable for you because that would be the worst thing, like being in the worst pain of your life. And some and random starts touching your butt. In ways that you don't like. <laughs> like, could you please stop tickling my back? I'm in pain. <laughs> um, other things that I've seen is music. Um, this is a little bit left of field, but I've seen people bring in speakers with them. Um, when we're studying, like I know when I'm studying, I like to listen to like, beach sounds mm-hmm. i don't know why it just relaxes me and calms me down um it may be a playlist that you've made before with like really relaxing music music that might like might like hype you up like pre-exercise like yeah, gym yeah, yeah. yeah. um i just definitely like, yeah. want to be playing chance the rapper no. um, in my birth suite but i feel like my <laughs> wife may feel otherwise i feel so sorry for Delara. <laughs> just oh that poor woman <laughs> So the next thing we're going to talk about is assisted non-medical pain relief. And the first one we're going to talk about is TENS. So, Evan, do you want to take it away? Yeah, sure. So TENS stands for trans-electrical nerve stimulation. And some of our listeners might have heard of this because this product is sold on the market commonly to help with period pain relief. Yeah. Um, And so this is really something that I think, Kayla, you saw was not really being offered in the birth suites, but something that women are taught to use during the antenatal period. Yeah, so they usually bring them in themselves. Yeah, and uh, it, ready for ready for the birthing process. Yeah, and yeah. the machine—it's a small battery-operated machine. It's placed on the body, and it gives you these small electrical pulses or shocks. And the way it's thought to work is by releasing something called encephalin. And encephalin is endogenous, which means that it's in your body, and it's something that's created in the body, and it binds to these things called noisy receptors. And noisy receptors are really your pain receptors. Noisy. And <laughs> that's noise. Noise. <laughs> and they are thought to help with kind of dulling the pain 
it's not really well proven in the literature, but some women have said that it's very helpful to them. Yeah. So again, because pain is subjective, if it helps, it helps. Again, it's worth a try. Yeah. Like if you haven't exactly. tried it before, try you it. You might as Why well not? try it. Yeah. Uh, the other one is intradermal water injections, otherwise known as sterile water injections. Mm-hmm. Again, a bit of conjecture around this one. It's said to be useful for back pain and managing back pain in labor. Um, just a heads up, I've heard that the process of the injection is quite painful for some women. Um, I've seen it described as things like a bee sting or a wasp sting that usually lasts for about 30 seconds. And they usually do this in the middle of a contraction. So you don't really know you're in so much, I shouldn't be laughing, but you are in so much pain from the contractions that you don't really notice this bee sting or wasp sting. Yeah. The process involves the injection of sterile water just under the skin, i.e. the intradermal section. And it happens in four different places on a woman's lower back. It's said to last for about two hours, but again, there's not that much evidence to no, really No, and I think you this. were saying before as well that you actually saw this in one of your patients. Yeah. And she said that it really did nothing for her. Well, she did it... When I saw her, she was in for a second birth. Her first birth, she had really bad back pain and she was experiencing bad back pain again antenatally before she had presented herself to birth suites. And she was saying, look, <laughs> this is... I love whenever I say this story because women are so cool, calm and collected when they come in and they just make the most, they make so many jokes and stuff like that until they're in pain. But she was saying my first pregnancy, I had this and it was the worst pain I'd ever had. If you even so much as bring it up to me, <laughs> like in the process of labor, I will lose my just not bananas. Yeah. <laughs> lose my bananas. You didn't say that five minutes ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And just quickly, I guess, how do the intra, 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 whoop, ah. how do the intradermal water injections work? They work by this thing called the gate theory of pain. Yeah. And really all this means is you have your large pain receptors and your small pain receptors in the body. And it's thought that when you administer pain to the small pain receptors and that pain travels up, it kind of dulls the larger pain receptors. And a good way to think about this is like what happens when you bang your foot or something on the table. You go immediately to grab it. And it's mm. thought that that grabbing pressure helps to dull that sharp pain, large pain. Yeah. 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 Cool. And I guess our biggest section of pain relief is our medical intervention. So yes. our medical pain relief. Yes. So what we're going to do is we're going to start off small mm-hmm. and we're going to gradually get bigger and bigger. Go and to bigger. the big stuff. Yeah. Like a staircase, mate. Yeah. <laughs> so the first one is gas. Not so... to be confused with a fart. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Eject yourself from this conversation. I'm sick of you. (laughs) So gas is a mixture of nitric oxide mixed with oxygen, otherwise known as laughing gas. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We might have taken some time for this. (laughs) So basically the woman is instructed to hold either a mask or a mouthpiece to her mouth, breathe in deeply and breathe out while without taking the mouthpiece or mask off. Yes. It's really, really important. And it's something that is not emphasized enough. Women must be control of the mouthpiece in themselves. Someone else shouldn't be holding it for her. And it is up to her to take it out or to put it in when she feels it is right to. Women, you are the mouthpiece. Mouthpiece, you are the woman. Yes! <laughs> no one can control that mouthpiece. <laughs> so whilst women, majority of women tend to use this during their contractions, it's said that women should start to breathe with the gas when they're starting to feel their contractions coming on. So that they've had a couple of big, deep breaths by the time the peak of the contraction has actually hit, which again emphasizes 
the point of women must be in control of that mouthpiece. Exactly. And yeah. also when the woman feels like it's too much or she feels like the gas is, you know, almost clouding what she uh, clouding the pregnancy and not allowing her to feel what she wants to feel. Yeah. Um, she needs to be able to remove that. You yeah. don't want someone else holding that over her. Yeah, can you imagine And it's also that? quite claustrophobic that's like a, having someone exactly holding a say. mask over you like <laughs> might as well be chloroform. Yeah, well that's actually one of the disadvantages. So stop stepping ahead. Okay. Uh, so I know my place. <laughs> So advantages of the gas is that you have control. Yeah. There are no side effects to the baby. Mm -hmm. It doesn't stay in your body for very long. So it's got a really short half-life and it helps control your breathing. This is a really big one. So again, we said at the start of the episode, birthing classes are really good because they teach you how to breathe through your contractions. The worst thing that you can do is sit there and like, like really hyperventilate. And guys, if you're struggling to think, how would breathing affect your con- uh, contractions? Uh, almost imagine it like you're at the gym. When you're lifting weights at the gym, if you breathe wrong, you yeah. can't lift your weight. No, exactly And it's, it's right. the exact same thing for yeah. women that are trying to deliver a baby. If yeah. they breathe at the wrong time or if they're not holding in their breath for long enough, it's, very, it's a very, um, what's the word, an ineffective contraction. Well, even things like, this might be a really bad example, but having an anxiety attack, you know how they use the paper bag that yeah. controls the amount yeah. of breathing that you're doing and tries to control that hyperventilation that you're going through so yeah the mouth the the use of the gas is really beneficial in terms of helping women control their breathing and whilst a lot of people say medically in terms of pain relief it doesn't really do much control of breathing does a lot yeah exactly yeah the disadvantages are things like nausea dizziness and lightheadedness lightheadedness why can't i say that word light headedness yes there are some medications where this is contraindicated and i've heard some women of course like evan skip the head like usual feel claustrophobic when using the mask Mm -hmm. so now next (laughs) next we come to morphine and i'm sure this is something that a lot of our listeners have heard of and morphine is an opioid which means that it binds to opioid receptors in the body um, and it's a form of pain relief and it's given im so intramuscularly it's usually given in the lateral thigh so on the side of the thigh like where you would and it takes about 20 minutes to work and it lasts about three hours. The main advantages of it is it's really readily available in a hospital. It's in generally all the pain management um, carts. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to administer because it's a simple in, um, injection and it has little to no effect on the progress of labor. Yeah. The main thing though about it is because it's an opioid, it makes you sleepy first of all because one of the side effects of opioids is that it depresses the respiratory center in the brain, yeah. which means that it lowers your respiratory rate. Another bad thing about morphine as well, though, is, is that it crosses the placenta. So it's transplacental. And that means that it also binds to baby's opioid receptors. Mm-hmm. So it also depresses baby and makes baby slower in their breathing um, as well. And so when mum is hooked up to the CTG, we can actually see baby's heart rate and it shows less variability and it shows less, um, less variability and less fluctuations and it looks like, um, to the outside observer, that baby's in sleep mode. So yeah. sometimes on the CTG, they'll actually mark when they deliver the morphine, yeah. um, just so they know. And again, it makes mum feel sleepy too. That means that mum's drowsy, so she might not be able to walk. And also, it, it's really hard to coordinate contractions and breathing. Yeah. Morphine's not given too close to the delivery, as it can re- to lead to something called respiratory depression, which we mentioned before. And so generally, we don't really recommend giving morphine two hours 
two hours before the delivery delivery, takes place. The positive, though, is that we do have um, an agent that can reverse it called naloxone. And this is given to both mum and baby. Mum, if she's experiencing respiratory depression, and baby, if baby comes out a little bit floppy. And we're going to be talking about that in next week's episode. Yeah when we cover um, neonatal resus and the APGAR score. Yeah, good old APGAR. Yeah. And it's a really good thing to try in some women if they're happy with the side effects, which a lot of women are not. Yes. But if they are happy with trying that, then it's a really good step to take before we go to the epidural. Yeah, beautiful. The next is the pudendal nerve block. So I think, again, this is something that we've actually spoken about in a previous episode. And this is essentially a regional or a local nerve block. So it's an anesthetic that's injected in the space where the pudendal nerve travels through and it basically like baths a nerve, kind of like what you would, what would happen in like a dentist's office. Like, you know how they give you Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so it baths a nerve instead of, yeah. This provides anesthesia to the region of the perineum, especially used during obstetric procedures. So it allows women to still feel the contractions without feeling the typical, I guess, burning sensation <laughs> associated with the stretch of the perineum otherwise known as the ring of fire i'd laugh when i say these things because i know that i'm gonna have to do it one day yeah <laughs> and I'm just, i feel yeah. for you <laughs> um this isn't that common for some reason i think we were talking about it before but it's actually not that common but it does actually have its benefits yeah i think it's more a procedure where the anesthetist needs that extra little bit of training and it's not commonly done because it's kind of that stepping stone that awkward kind of procedure between you know, between um, uh, morphine and the epidural. And generally people yeah. just jump straight to the epidural because if the woman does then need to go to a cesarean, it's just, you've got it there. Yeah. Um, but the pudendal Besides name block, I think the main thing is more about the experience for the woman. Yeah. It's a really good way to make sure that you're still sticking with her birth plan if she wants to experience the vaginal birth, wants to experience the travel of baby through the pelvic passage. Mm. but doesn't want the pain around the perineum, which is completely fair. And especially in cases like an episiotomy or like perineal tears as well, it would be useful. Exactly. And this is akin to um, lidocaine, which is your topical anesthetic that's given during... An episiotomy. Yeah, when we're stitching up the episiotomy. Yeah. um, And that's very different to the pudendal nerve block, which is bathing the nerve in the anesthetic agent, the entire pudendal nerve. Yeah. yeah. So lidocaine is usually given during any stitching procedures. Yeah, not? correct. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. they gave me something when I got my stitches and I wasn't sure what it was. <laughs> so complications, the most common is pain at the site of injection and more seriously damage to the actual nerve in itself or damage to nearby organs such as the bladder. Yeah. yeah. The main thing about the pudendal nerve block is exactly like you said, we want to be bathing the nerve Um, in the anesthetic agent and not injecting the anesthetic agent into the nerve because then that can cause all types of problems and kill the actual neurons in the nerve yeah the next one is the epidural probably the biggest one yeah and the one that everyone will probably know like if you asked anyone you know what's the one pain management that you can think about during pregnancy nearly everyone would say epidural yeah like i know even when women talk about like oh like do you have a plan yet and the one that comes up most is epidural. It's yeah. always like, oh yeah, maybe. like, are you thinking about having an epidural? Yeah. That's, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the procedure. So Evan, do you want to take this one away? Yeah. So we'll start me? off first with... I don't with, want to do it. <laughs> that's okay. So we'll start off first with, um, you know, how the woman would be positioned. So she can either be positioned sitting on the bed and leaning forwards, but mm-hmm. this is obviously a little bit hard with the tummy. Yeah. Um, and so she can also be lying in the left lateral position with a wedge under her kind of hip bum area, mm-hmm. um, and then she'll flex forward. So she'll she'll 
bring her chin towards her chest. Yeah, essentially um, try being a ball, sort of. Yeah. Really, yeah. And then this is all done under aseptic technique. So the woman is draped. There's a small little area, like a square that's opened of the skin where mm-hmm. the injection will take place. Yeah. And then the anaesthetist will feel... Um, for what's known as the ASIS, so the anterior superior iliac spine, which is basically the top of your pelvis. Mm -hmm. And then from there, they can figure out where this L2-3 or L3-4 landmark is. And this L2, L3, and L4 are basically the numbers of the lumbar spine. And there are five vertebrae in the lumbar spine. And they want to go here because the spinal cord is quite interesting. So a lot of people think about the spinal cord as kind of just one continuous cord but at this l2 to 3 um, area it splits and it splits into little nerves and they almost end up bunching up like a horse's tail and that's why we call this area the quarter equina yeah and kind of like the roots of a tree exactly like the roots of a tree yeah and so when you when you put the cannula or the needle into this space you're just going to push these nerves aside because these nerves are bathed in csf which is your cerebrospinal fluid yeah and they move they're like spaghetti you know you can push them and they move um and so the, the the back is clean now with antiseptic wipe and then after palpating for your landmarks, the cannula is put in. And really the cannula now remains in place for the remainder of the labour and delivery and we can administer the medication. The medication can be administered two ways, either as a bolus, which means just one push of the syringe to administer the whole epidural, um, or it can be administered continuously. Um, and so there's... Um, kind of like the drip next to you and this machine that's next to you and the woman has the controls yeah. and every so often i think it's 15 minutes or 30 minutes she can administer an additional dose as required yeah obviously and it's maxed out as well like exactly yeah so you just can't keep going like, no. over and, over again. and the pain relief from this method is the most superior so you don't feel any pain but you do feel pressure so the woman can still feel the contractions coming along but it's not the same as having a pudendal nerve block or having no yeah, anesthesia. Yeah. So she feels some pressure, but not really the pain associated with the contractions. Yeah. And there are a number of disadvantages that are associated with this procedure. And again, these are things that we've actually spoken yeah, about. Yeah, but Kayla, do you before. want to go through some of them? Yeah, so again, the first one is mobility. So we talked about the importance of moving around and that's kind of... Well, you can't do that when you've no, had an epidural No, because you, you can't stand. Um, yeah, so you won't be able to move around. You'll be confined to the bed. You'll have to have things like a catheter inserted. Um, and that's really to allow things like bladder emptying because, well, you can't feel that you need a pee um, usually. And usually things like labor progression are delayed. Yeah, so, by about an hour. Yeah. Um, we also have the limited ability for a woman to push. So I know that in the birds that I was in, I would usually be in control of like feeling for the contractions when a woman had an epidural in because it wasn't really something that she'd be able to feel. And it's really important to time your pushing with your contractions. So I would have to feel for her fundus and be like, okay, you're having a contraction, time to push. Um, So as you can imagine, if you're trying to push something and you have no feeling for what you're trying to push, it's, it's hard to know yeah, how much to really. push exactly. Yeah, so a woman's ability to really bear down and push is quite hindered um this is then this then inherently kind of increases the woman's likelihood that she'll actually need an instrumental delivery or some form of other intervention so things like perineal trauma the tearing of via episiotomy as well exactly and also there are some techniques that you know the midwife and obstetrician will tell the woman when crown is crowning is occurring like doing you know three small pushes yeah and this is to stop that perineal trauma and the tears and obviously if a woman can't feel that she doesn't know how hard she has to push yeah so that as well compounds to increase the likelihood of that perineal tear yeah and something that we haven't really spoken about 
much either is that women will be required to be monitored by a CCG, just like with any sort of complications during your pregnancy or labor. But with the CTG, there is inherent increase in the likelihood of intervene delivery process, whether that be instrumental or cesarean section. Yeah. We're not going to go into too much detail about that. We'll probably do its own an, yeah. another episode on that. But that's what the literature tells us. Exactly. And really, that's a common sense thing. If you've got a machine that's giving you more categorized and more detailed output about what's going on to baby that an obstetrician or midwife normally would not be able to see, yeah. the threshold for wanting to act will be much quicker. Yeah. But not only that, but the mistakes that are able to be made as exactly, well. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, not every system is perfect. Sometimes it's yeah. read wrong or, yeah. Exactly. Anyway, let's not go into too much detail about that. We'll save that for another episode. Yeah, but that's what the literature tells us at the moment. Um, so let's talk a, lo- a little bit about the complications that can occur with an, ep- with an epidural. I was about to say with an episiotomy. With an epidural. <laughs> so the first one is maternal hypotension, which basically means reduced blood pressure. Um, short-lived bradycardia in baby that essentially means that baby's heart rate may drop but will quickly recover. Mm-hmm. Um, headaches. Headaches are really, really common. Yep. Um, accidental dural puncture, things like drug toxicity, direct neurologic neurological injury, spinal hematoma, but they're very, very rare. Yes. Very, very rare. Let's go through some of the advantages. So one of the first things and one of the most important things is that it gives mum time to rest. So labour is really long, it's exhaustive, and we underestimate how much you need sleep. Not only that, but that might be the last good sleep mum Exactly. Exactly. And really, it, it affects the way that you push down. I mean, anyone can think about that. If you don't sleep, how are you supposed to run a marathon? Exactly You right. can't. Yeah. yeah. Pain as well, if the procedure works. There's really no pain now. The side effects to baby are very rare, comparing that to morphine with the respiratory depression. Mm -hmm. The patient can control their own airway. And women cannot do that during general anesthesia. And that's a big thing. Because again, you're putting the locus of control here again with the woman. woman. And when you're in in a position, in a hospital, where there's so much going around you, the little that you have left is that control. Yeah. And so that's really important. Yeah. And the main thing is that the patient is awake for the delivery. They get to experience They get that. to experience they the get delivery. To they get to see baby, baby attached with, this, uh, with the umbilical cord. Exactly, yeah. 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 Now let's end with the spinal block. And now we still have one more after the spinal block. <laughs> oh, yeah, general. <laughs> you just said it. <laughs> My bad. So the spinal block. So this one's actually quite similar in many ways to the epidural. And it's usually given prior to things like an emergency Caesar, forcep of one tooth delivery. And it's basically, I guess where it differs is that it's a single injection rather than like a cannula that's continuously in place. Um, it's delivered into the spinal fluid that surrounds a spinal cord, spinal cord, not cord, spinal cord, where this is opposed to the epidural that does not pass that membrane that encases the spinal fluid in the spinal cord. The procedure itself only lasts about two to three minutes. The analgesia itself only lasts one to two hours so again it's not as effective as the epidural in terms of longer lasting pain relief so it's really only given in those emergency circumstances where we only need it for for a couple of hours and then it's gone let's talk a little bit about the disadvantages of a method such as this so again similar to the epidural in terms of mobility catheter insertion and difficulty in pushing Again, hypotension, so low blood pressure. We also may experience things like itchiness, nausea, tingling sensation in the legs once the medication wears off. Um, Pain at site of injection for a few days, but I'm pretty sure that's similar to an epidural as well. Yeah. Um, Headaches, again. 
And then you have the really rare complications such as nerve injury, infection, anesthesia, traveling to the area of the lungs, leading to respiratory depression. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but really rare. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the advantages of it. Yeah, so it doesn't uh, last as long as the epidural, so it's two to three hours. And one of the main um, advantages as well is that it's, it's pretty quick. Yeah. Compared to the epidural. Yeah. It's contraindicated though if the woman is in systemic sepsis and if she's in systemic sepsis, yeah, if she's in <laughs> systemic sepsis, she'd likely have general anesthesia. We have to stop recording this late. I know. Uh, hypotension, uh, a blood clotting disorder, and allergy. Yeah. Beautiful. So now we come to the last, I think. This no, this is definitely the last. This is this is the. Are you sure we don't do specific anesthesia after general? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> When I go to, to upload this episode, I have to tick the box now that says <laughs> explicit content, maybe. I mean, if you show up really explicit, though. <laughs> I don't know. Just keep saying it and we'll see what people think. Okay. <laughs> All right. Shut up now. This is extremely rare. General anesthesia is extremely rare and generally is avoided. Yeah. Unless it really has to be used. Mm. It's generally only really used in emergencies, right? Yeah. In emergency C-sections, four, seven, one, two, delivery. Yeah. Um, so... The anesthesia in itself is said to lead to things like cervical relaxation. So it's really helpful in cases of cervical entrapment, particularly with things like breach presentation, if mm-hmm. it hasn't been caught on yep. previously. Um, things like complications. I know Evans mentioned it before is Mendelssohn syndrome. So aspiration of gastric contents, contents leading to things like pneumonia or pneumonitis. We also have things like maternal hypoxic cerebral injury. So basically obstruction of the endotracheal tube, which is a tube that's put into mum to help her breathe. If that's obstructed, that may reduce mum's oxygen delivery to her brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then things like upper airway injury. So from the yep. insertion and, of the endotracheal, endotracheal and other, tube. And a really other common thing that can happen as well is loss of teeth. So when, wow. they're using, um, when they're using the device to open the mouth, it's metal and it goes in and it can actually knock out teeth as well. Especially sense. if it's an emergency when it needs to be done quick. Quickly, yeah. yeah. So I guess the advantages, if you could pinpoint some, uh, they're good for women who are high risk of hemorrhage. So hypovolemia are hypotensive disorders and it, it is rapidly delivered. Um, but that's me pulling at strings, really. Mm-hmm. Um, disadvantages... It does cross the placenta. So again, we're going to go into things like APGAR and uh, fetal surveillance in the next episode. But the biggest disadvantage, because it crosses the placenta, is neonatal depression. Baby will usually, from what I saw, would come out will, floppy, yeah, they will. unresponsive, require some sort of mechanical ventilation, which leads to things like ventilation-induced lung injury, ventilation-induced brain injury, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's also a, a possible disadvantage for it as well as a postpartum hemorrhage. Yeah, and another disadvantage is that generally partner can't be in the room. Partner can't be in the room. Um, no skin-to-skin contact, can't be awake to see baby delivered. Mm-hmm. Um, baby misses out on breastfeed. If Yeah, yeah and like generally it's... because it's such an emergency, mum generally doesn't get to the ward that quick. So no. mum may need to go to ICU. Well, yeah, I've and, seen cases where, yeah, 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 anyway. And so this is kind of the form of an um, analgesia that you would use when you're in dire, dire consequent, Circum- yeah, yeah. circumstances. Yeah, exactly. so it's not, it's, it's not something that's necessarily offered. No, like it's, it's, not it's not really something that's offered, offered no. Yeah. In severe, severe it's, forms um, of that, I forgot what it's called again, it's toco something, but it's the psychiatric toco- complication tocophobia. where you're yeah, really, really um, scared of birth. That might be something that you need to do. Mm. But very true. I haven't seen it myself. Oh, neither have I. No. I've seen really high anxiety like 
I've seen high anxiety, but I've never seen tocophobia to that extreme. No. Yeah. Okay, so let's end the case. So Susan progressed through her labour requiring non-medical analgesia and was able to complete her pregnancy in line with her birth plan. Good old Susan. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> she used regular movement and a stress ball throughout her labour. She delivered a healthy baby girl named Sharon. <laughs> you knew I was going to do it. Is that why you paused? Uh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, so I guess that's the end of the episode for today. But like always, you can follow us on Linktree. <laughs> It's very late. I think I need another coffee. Yeah, I think yeah. you need another short plug. Yeah. So Linktree, so that's linktree.com forward slash podstetrics, or you can just Google podstetrics and all our stuff comes up. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. We're on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, and Spotify. Yeah. And really our main kind of ask for you all is if you could please review us on Apple Podcasts, like us and share. Yeah. It really helps us get out. Um, so that more listeners can hear us. We've actually got some international listeners now, which is pretty cool. It's it's um, pretty sick, yeah. So we're pretty excited about that. But yeah. it'd be really great if this can be shared around. Yeah. Because the main aim of this podcast is to help people and to educate people. Yeah. And Not only that, but the reviewing helps us tailor the episodes to you as well. Exactly. So we really want to know what you want to hear. Or if we're just going completely left of field and you don't like it at all. <laughs> exactly. And we're just speaking into a mic for no reason. Damn. Okay, so I guess, like always, I'm Kayla. And I'm Evan. Stay safe, guys. And take care of yourselves. Bye.